Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Joe. I'm the worship pastor here, and I get the privilege to preach again this morning as Pastor Aaron is in down in Lancaster uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, he's been out preaching in different places. A lot of the churches that still sponsor us want to see what's going on with us and have us out. And as crazy as 2020's been, there's a lot to celebrate as our church, and so it's pretty wild to um, just to kind of hear the reports of how the churches are just really viewing what's going on here. And so I want to pray for him as he's down there preaching for them. And today. We're going to continue a series that's called Lost and Gain. Last week was part one. This week is part two. And basically, just we're going to get into a little bit more of a recap later. But basically, last week, Pastor Aaron talked about how Paul, the gain that he had religiously, you know, um, when it has to deal with the promise that God made, you know, who he was born, the family he was born into, what he had done, like his training, becoming a Pharisee, all these different things. But he says, I count it all loss for the sake of Christ. And so, Today we're going to get into part two of that as he continues in that, as he starts reflecting on his life um, post-conversion. And so we're going to dive right in, and like I said, we'll kind of recap as we go here. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll get that out with me, it'll be on the screen. Let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read verses 8 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11. The Word says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're so grateful for your word. And God, we pray right now that as we dive into it, that you would speak to us. God, remove me from the situation and my opinions and all those things. And God, let us focus on your word, because your word changes lives. And God, I pray that no one leaves here the same. I want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we see here is the loss of all things. Paul says here in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Now that word indeed means more than that. More than what? More than what Pastor Aaron said last week. So my message is more important. No. But in verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things loss. Or I count everything as a loss. So I want to look at this real quick. Last week, as I mentioned before, Paul, he talked about the gain that he had. I'm just going to read it again so we're familiar. In verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had incredible gain religiously, not just what he did, but even into the family that he was born understanding what they knew about the promise that God had through the Jewish people and through the Israelites. And when he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, that goes back to his conversion, right? When, when God shows up on the road to Damascus and he's blinded, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul had to make a decision. He, everything he was, uh, being a Pharisee, uh, religiously, I mean, that was the top of the top, right? He had some incredible prestige that way. Do you think that as he's on his way with papers in hand to be able to put Christians into prison, 
Do you think that if he surrendered to Christ, he thought everything was going to stay the same? What he was doing to the Christians is exactly what he knew was then going to happen to him. He was going to forfeit everything that he had for the sake of Christ. But he says, I counted all his loss. And now, more than that in verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And this here is 20 to 25 years after his conversion. Paul says, I count everything as loss. Now, I'm going to say this verse multiple, time, multiple times because I hope you memorize it. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I hope that in the midst of struggle that we can be reminded of the worth that we have in Christ. But so when he's mentioning gain and loss in verse 7 here and then also in verse 8, what this term is is an accounting term that means profit or loss. He mentions the gain that he had that then he counted as loss. So it's, it's a profit that then he counts as a loss. And so Paul's not saying that everything he had was worthless. What he's saying is it's counted as a loss compared to the profit that's in Christ. So let's think of it this way. If we have, say, we're going to invest money into two things. We can invest our money into this where we get a 1% return guarantee. That's a profit, right? You're not losing money. You're gaining money. Or you can invest over here where you get 100% return guaranteed. That's a profit. This is significantly more. However, you can't say that this isn't a profit. But in light, knowing you can have this, this is a loss, right? You're going to lose out on this 99%. Paul speaks of this in a different way, because being Jewish, the stuff that he gave up, it, it is of a prophet. In ver Romans chapter 3, verse 1, look what it says. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There's great value, great advantage to being Jewish, because you were given the word of God. No, no other nation had been given God's word. But look at verse 9. What then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. We say, well, which one is it, Paul? Is it an advantage or not? The reality of it is to be given the word of God is an incredible advantage. To know what God expects of you is an incredible advantage, but what he expects, you can't achieve. You need a savior. Therefore, on the grounds of better off, meaning our relationship with God, the Jew has no benefit of that. No different than, say, you're born into a Christian home. Any of us who have... Can we say there's an advantage to be born into a Christian home? Absolutely. We get to hear about Jesus. We get to experience church and the gathering of God's people. Hopefully we got to see, you know, Christ lived out in our parents' life. That's a huge advantage. But are we better off in our standing with God? No. Because our parents' faith can't save us. What we do with it matters. Paul says it a different way in 1 Timothy 4.8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. Without a doubt, bodily training, physical health, physical fitness is of value. We can all agree to that. Like, you can, you can basically remove a lot of heartache, a lot of suffering, a lot of sickness if you pay attention to your physical health. Now, when it says it's of some value, however, godliness is of value in every way, what that is is the physical value is a small part of the whole. The godliness, the every value, is the whole part. Why? Because it has a promise for the present life and also the life to come. See, being born into a Christian home or being born a Jew is, is here in Paul's context or paying attention to your physical health, these have value. This, there's profit in those, but they're temporary. Again, if you're raised in a Christian home and you do nothing with it, when you die, you're no different than somebody who wasn't. 
If you're the most healthy person in the world, eventually you're going to die. And apart from Christ, there's no hope. There's a profit in these things. But Paul says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he counts them as a loss. We can't look at these as negative things. They're good things. Paul doesn't regret being born a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin or being trained in the ways of Pharisee where he had to memorize the majority of the Old Testament. And I'm sure he was proud of his Roman citizenship. However, nothing compared to knowing Christ. He says, take it all away. I viewed it as a loss anyway because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now we can say that's easier said than done, right? Well, Paul didn't just say it. He lived it. Remember the passage we just read? Look at verse 8 again. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now look at this. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, be, may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul actually suffered the loss of everything. He's in prison at this point. Paul is sitting in a jail cell. He'd lost everything. And if we remember back on his conversion, right? He lost his religious, you know, uh, gain that he had as a Pharisee. Lost it all when he turned to Christ. But then Paul, God used him in a mighty way where he gained some pretty good reputation as a Christian apostle, right? As one who was leading the way to the Gentiles. But now that he's in prison, there's many other, what he calls super apostles, that are going around saying, Paul's nothing. God's not using him. Look at him. He's in prison. He's even lost all of that. And he's lost his freedom as he's in prison. However, this, look what he says. Not only does he count them lost, it says he counts them as rubbish. Now, in the English, that doesn't seem near as aggressive as what the Greek actually does. The Greek can be described two different ways. As manure, dung, waste of the most foul kind. Or it can be garbage. Literally filthy scraps of garbage. So Paul says... That everything that I counted as gain, which we know was good, there was profit in those things, but compared to Christ, he said, I count them as good for nothing, filthy scraps of garbage. You might say, well, my situation is different. Because we don't respond this way most times, right? And when we say that my situation is different, we're justifying why we don't respond this way. But you're right. Your situation isn't, or it is different. Paul's was much worse. Let's look at why he lost everything. If you go back to the verse, it says, For his sake I suffered the loss of all things. What does for his sake mean? It literally means because of him. Who? Because of Christ. Because of Christ, Paul loses everything. He suffered the loss of everything. He was preaching the gospel, doing what you and I are commanded to do, and it caused him to lose everything. We think about when things get taken from us, like, oh, we wouldn't respond. Paul loses everything for doing what God has commanded him to do. And he says, I count them as nothing. Filthy scraps of garbage. And I love in verse 4, last week Aaron hit on, Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? We look at Paul in his conversion and everything that he's done up until this point. Paul's a great example for us. You know, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 10 or 11 verse 1 where he says, imitate me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Very few of us would have the confidence to say that. Paul says, look, I... I've done all these things as well, but I count all this stuff as nothing compared to Christ. Because of Christ, he suffered the loss of all things, but it's also because of Christ that he counts these as rubbish. It's because of Christ that he sees the surpassing worth of what he has in Christ. So we see the loss of all things, but now let's look at the gain of Christ. 
Now, it's interesting. We just spent a lot of time talking about the loss because we can sympathize with that. We don't like when things get taken from us. It's, it's difficult for us to deal with. But in four verses, Paul talks about his loss in half of a verse. Three and a half verses, he talks about what he gains in Christ. So I want to read the passage again. And let's look at this one more time. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to say our verse again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. This surpassing worth is compared to the gain that he had in verse 7. It's compared to the gain that he had in this world. Yet he says there's a surpassing worth. And this surpassing worth comes from knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And we need to make sure we understand what this is. Paul's not saying knowing about Jesus. Some translations say the excelling knowledge of Christ. But any way that it's written in the Bible, it means it is a knowledge that comes from a firsthand experience through a personal relationship. This isn't knowledge about Jesus. This is actually knowing him as your Lord and Savior on a personal relationship level. I want to show us the difference of knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. In Acts 19, there's a story that I love. These, uh, Paul's walking through Acts 19, and God's using him in some incredible ways. To such an extent that it's almost, it's very Jesus-like what's happening. People are reaching out and touching his garment and being healed of disease. Demons are being cast out. And then it says that there's some Jewish exorcists. There's seven in total. And in Acts 19, look at verse 13. It says, They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you in the, by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now notice what they say here. Paul and the other apostles, when they cast out demons, what do they say? They say, like, I command you or you must do this in what? In Jesus' name. Because Jesus is working through them because there's a relationship. They say, I command you to do this by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They've heard Paul do these things. They know that Jesus is the one who does it. And they say, look, by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, you need to leave. Notice how the Spirit responds to them in verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? There's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. If you read the rest of that story, it says the man that had the spirit jumped on them, all seven of them, to the point where they fled the house naked and wounded. Yet Paul and the other apostles, knowing Jesus, can tell them the spirit leaves. There's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about him. And Paul says that surpassing worth comes from knowing Jesus. That's why Paul also says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the reality of it is, though it seems so simple, just saying the words, Jesus saved me, does nothing. That's not what Paul's saying because he attaches a condition in verse 14. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In order to call on Jesus, you have to believe that you're calling on the one who can save you. You're believing in your heart that he's the one who holds forgiveness of sins. He's the one whose righteous life will be imputed on you and make you in right standing with God. Otherwise, just saying, Jesus saved me, does nothing. You have to know him. Paul counts all things as loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. But again, this surpassing worth comes from knowing him, a relationship and experience. And when we look at how Paul responds, you can see how tight-knit the relationship he has with Christ is. So how well do we know him? What value have we given our salvation? Do we hold Christ's gift as the pinnacle of everything we have to such an esteem that these other things we're thankful for but take them away, it doesn't matter? Or do we hold it down here? And these things that he's given us, we begin to worship these instead of the one who gave them to us. And as they get taken away, it crushes us. It hurts our relationship because, God, how can you do that? And we get to that point we're like, well, I know I'm saved, but I want this stuff. Now, this is hard for me because I do the same thing. Paul says knowing Christ allows you to understand the surpassing worth to such a degree that you count it all as loss as nothing, filthy scraps of garbage compared to what we have in Christ. I hope that we hold our forgiveness of sins at the highest thing we can have. The greatest gift we could ever receive is in Christ. Nothing in this world. But you can't do that unless you're doing that on the mountaintop too. I think a lot of times, you know, when everything's going good, that's when we back off from our worship. We back off from praising God, and we think that we hit the valley and everything falls apart. We wonder why. But I want you to see something. Paul didn't, he's not sitting in a jail cell reflecting and then gets to that point where he's like, well, I lost everything anyway, but you know what? I still have Christ. That's not Paul's attitude, and we know that from Acts chapter 20. I'm going to go there quick. Acts chapter 20, and let's look at verse, I believe it's 22. Yeah. So Paul's on one of his missionary journeys. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders as he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is before he writes this letter. Look at what he says in verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Look what he says, though. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. On the mountaintop, Paul counts his life as nothing, and Christ as everything. He knows for a fact that Paul, the Holy Spirit has testified to him that there's imprisonment and afflictions everywhere that you go. And if you continue to read Acts, you'll see that's true. But on the mountaintop, Paul held the gift of Christ as the surpassing worth. You take it all away, it doesn't matter, because he already counted it as loss. And that's where we need to be. Knowing Jesus is everything. And because of that, because our faith in Jesus, we also get the righteousness from God. So look at verse 9 again in Philippians here. Actually, it's verse 8. In order that I may gain Christ, no, verse 9. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, real quick, when we read that, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, I don't want us to misunderstand Paul. Paul's not saying that he hasn't obtained that. Paul's not saying that he's not in Christ. Paul's not saying that he doesn't know if he's going to be found in Christ. We know that from Philippians 1.1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants or willful slaves of Christ Jesus to all the saints, what? In Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Christians, those who believe, are in Christ. 
He's not saying in order that I may gain, but he's, he's, he's creating a distinction. His love for Christ compared to the love of the things, right? We have to sell out. We have to count the cost. Christ is everything. Now, he mentions that he doesn't, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Okay, you can't earn this. So it goes back to, it's not that he's waiting and hoping he obtains it. You can't earn it. How do we get the righteousness? It says that it comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You don't earn these things. And again, as he's contrasting the law of righteousness of your own efforts compared to faith, remember he's the one who said in verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 6 that Pastor Ann read last week. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That means that Paul was morally pure. On an outward sense, no one could accuse Paul of doing anything against the law. Again, Paul's somebody that, you know, he really does have quite the reputation. Yet Paul says not having that. He realized that when he gave his life to Christ, that wasn't enough. He knows what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus also said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, outward morality does not trump inward morality. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus says, your thoughts condemn you. You need a righteousness not of your own doing, but of faith that comes through Christ, which is of God. Paul says in Romans 3.28, and it'll be on the screen. It says, for we hold that one is justified. Now, I've put in parentheses, declared divinely righteous, because that's key, because sometimes the words confuse us. The word justified in the Greek means declared divinely righteous. So Paul says, for we hold that one is declared divinely righteous by faith apart from works of the law. You don't earn any of this stuff. And Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in flesh, I have more, and I'm telling you. You don't earn this stuff. It comes through faith in Jesus. Paul also says in 2 Timothy 4, I preached on it a few weeks ago at Marysville. Paul says that he's fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith, and he says, therefore there's a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, that the Lord himself, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to myself, but all those who love his appearing. Paul is saying that every Christian, true born-again Christian, will receive a crown of divine righteousness from the divinely righteous judge. Why? Because we've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus, which happens through faith. You don't earn these things. This is what we have in Christ. This is what Paul's talking about, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ compared to these things in this world. We have the righteousness from God that leads to the resurrection of the dead. In verse 10, Paul says, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Again, Paul is not pretending that this isn't a reality. He's saying he's willing to do anything to see this happen. He knows that there's power in the resurrection. Jesus is the proof of that. Now, let's be honest. The resurrection is critical to the Christian. Believing in the resurrection is everything. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if, we confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection isn't real. If the resurrection didn't happen, then Jesus is not who he says he was. Romans 1 says that's how he was declared to be the Son of God when God rose him from the dead. I had a professor ask me one time, how do we know for sure that God accepted the sacrifice that Jesus paid? How do we know God accepted that for our sin? 
Because he rose him from the dead. That's the proof that God is pleased with that sacrifice. And that resurrection, there's power in that, but it comes to us as well. Right? Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, so by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This resurrection power that God showed, where he says, I conquer, I, I control the physical and the spiritual realm, that resurrection passes on to us. Paul says, I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, heaven is where we're going. Heaven's the ultimate goal. And heaven is so much better than what we have in this life. Why do we cling so tightly to these things? And you're not bad for doing so. This is all that we see. This is all that we know. But man, knowing Christ allows us to see there's something far greater than these temporary things right here in front of us. But I do want to compare our faith with Paul real quick. Because I don't want us to read this and be completely discouraged. It should convict us on how we respond to situations and how we hold the, the gift that we have in Christ. But Paul is different than us. Paul is being used by God to write scripture. Paul has seen the third heaven, right? Paul has experienced things that you and I haven't. His faith is pretty awesome. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, notice what Paul says in verse 10. That I may know him. So after he knows the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he says that I may know him. And that means in the Greek that it is a continual. He wants to continue to know Christ more. He wants to continue to grow in his walk with Christ. He wants to know him more. He knows the surpassing worth. And this is an ongoing thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to finish the work in us. God is making us like him. And that will happen throughout our entire life until he takes us home. And every one of us are on different scales in that. But to find true joy in this life and to respond correctly, we have to know him in a personal, experiential relationship. You might ask, how do we do that? We meditate on his word. There's a psalm that I love. It says, thy word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We meditate on his word. And the Bible tells us all throughout to pray continually. Ask Jesus. If you don't sense his presence, ask him. You are his child. He will show it to you. We're to live a life of obedience and submission to him. And Paul tells us at the end of his life that I've counted all things lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I pray we could do the same. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. We're going to pray if you'll bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how timely it is. I'm amazed at how written so long ago it speaks to the exact situations we deal with today. And God, I pray that it gives us confidence as it should. Faith is the confidence that your word is true. And God, I pray right now that if anyone is lacking in that, that you would just overflow them and give them the confidence of who you are. And God, I pray today that we realize that a relationship with you is the only way to find joy in this life to such a point where take it all away. We have Christ, the ultimate gift. God, as we sing, I pray that you would be lifted up. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.